this work is love. And ever since then, it's like we have a Volkswagen Jetta we, we purchased a couple of years ago. And ever since we got the Jetta, now we see Jettas everywhere. And that, you know how that works? If you get a Honda or you, you get a Toyota or you get a Chevrolet truck, you start seeing them everywhere. And you never noticed them before. Well, it happened that way with this word God put in my heart. Well, I asked ask God, okay, Lord, what a privilege. What a privilege to be able to stand at this place. There's two, there are three, there are four beings that know the heart of Stephen Richards. One of them is me. The others are the Almighty God, His Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. I can't hide anything from me, and I can't hide anything from them. They all know my heart. And for them to know my heart and know my frailties and still allow me to stand here, that's where God began to, to dwell in my mind about love. Love is the most powerful thing in the universe. Next to right next to free will. Free will is a powerful thing. The angels would like to know about that. Love is the most powerful thing in the universe. It changes things. When I was about 28 years old, it was right somewhere right 77, 78. I was a young man and I was numb inside. I had seen You need a mic. I need a mic? You can't hear back there? No. Okay. Jennifer's. Can I get your mic, Jennifer? Yeah. Testing one, two. Testing, testing. You hear me better? Okay. This is going to be strange. <laughs> David Alvarado does this real well. David can't preach without this. Um, but I, I might have a hard time doing it. Uh, so please bear with me. Um, you want the monitors off, Steve? Please. Would that help? Thank you. Yeah, that would help a lot. I'm talking right into my face. <laughs> um, thank you. Well, that's a lot better. Uh, I was 28 years old, 1977, 78. And you have to think about this. I was 18, 17, 18 years old in 1969 when I graduated high school. And that was a crazy time. I mean, if you were there, it was nuts. I didn't realize how crazy it was until much later. A lot of the things that you see, the movies you see, and everything you read about it, don't talk about some of the real underlying craziness that was there. That was the peace, love, breakout. Peace, love, everybody. What happened was, though, all these young people run out there with peace and love as their mantra and, and really trying hard to do that, and they had no Holy Spirit, and we got shredded. I mean, we got ripped to pieces. We were subject to every weird thing that came along. Oh, yeah, let's... Look into Hare Krishna. Oh, let's look into this. Let's look into that. Let's look into drugs. Let's look into things our eyes should never see. Because we didn't understand the power of God. We did, we've been taught about God since we were young, but we didn't really understand His power. God's power. The power of the Holy Spirit. We spoke about love, but we didn't really understand it. It was a very powerful thing that we were dancing around and spoke and said to each other, but we had no idea how it worked. And 10 years later, I was numb. I had seen so much weirdness. I had been so many places down so many roads that I got to the end and 
there was a bunch of people who had a great idea and no power. That was, I stayed a while with the Hare Krishnas. Very fervent people dancing around with their head shaved and a little ponytail in orange gowns, saffron gowns, eating crazy stuff. Americans and Canadians acting like they were Indians, and they weren't. I mean, it was like, okay, what's all this? They showed me the Bhagavad Gita. Crazy stuff, no power. I hung out with the children of God. That was like a Jesus. There was a big Jesus movement. But they didn't, they had no real leadership. They had no powerful guidance. They had no strength to show them the real truth about what they were talking and touching, what they were acting like they knew about. Because we were raised in denominational churches that would send you out to war with no weapons, as Eric's fond of saying. They raise you up, get you all geared up, and send you out to war, and you have no weapons, no Holy Spirit, and you get shredded. I spent a lot of time with this, you know, with the Sikhs, the guys with the turbans on their head, and the yoga folks. I just kept looking around. Where is, you know, there is a God somewhere, but where is he, and what do all these people have to say? And they all had some kind of weird angle, and there was no power in it. It was humanity. It was greed, lust, fear, uh, all kind, all the all the bad stuff came out everywhere I went. So I would I'd stay a while, and it was funny because when I go to leave, they go, "Hey, where are you going? I'm leaving. Why? Well, I'm going to go somewhere else. Why? I need to go look around. Why? Why do you keep asking me all these questions? Because you need to stay. Every one of them. Every one of them." No, I'm sorry, I'm not staying. Oh, then you're a weak person. If you can't adhere to this discipline that we've been giving you, you're a weak person. Every one of them said that. So I began to realize that I could expect that and have an answer for them. No, obviously you hadn't figured me out. I figured you out, and there's nothing in you. I don't see it. That was true because there was nothing in me either. I was getting emptier and emptier and emptier. And it wasn't until 1980 where God's Holy Spirit changed me, where he began to make me new and change me. But I was 28 years old in 1978, and I was was living out in the country in Louisiana. It was a very cold winter and unusual for Louisiana in January and February. We had clear skies, very cold weather because there was no cloud cover. And you don't get to see the stars a lot. I don't think. We live inside. We have city lights that block our view. I lived out in the country. One night, I just I just had this thing gnaw at me. You know, I just couldn't rest. I couldn't find peace. So I put on my heavy coat, and I walked outside. There was this frost on the ground. The, the stars were so bright, I couldn't believe it. It was a hard frost. And I went out, and I just laid down on the ground, and I looked out. And I could not believe the stars that I was seeing. I mean, if you ever do that, go lay down and look out. Okay, so you're on the on a ball of dirt, and you're laying at some point, and you're looking out. And you can't count the stars that you see. And you're part of a little, you're a little speck on a little speck that's moving through this huge dance. And I was laying there, and I said, almost out loud, but mostly to myself, what is it that holds all this together? How does this work? I feel so tiny. You know, this I feel dwarfed. What significance do I have in all this? What is this? And a clear voice came to me that I now know was God, the Holy Spirit, that voice you hear. And this is what it said. 
the word that you say, love, is my energy. And my love, my energy, is what holds all this together. And that was God. But years later, I wasn't saved, believe me. I wasn't living for God. I was a heathen. But he spoke to me there. So that years later, when he did change me, he did call me out. He actually said, if you don't turn, you're going to die. He sent somebody to tell me that. Buzz for me. Buzz had been saved just a short time and had this gift of prophecy and didn't even know what it was. And God gave him this word, so I'll tell you when to give it to somebody. Two weeks later, God said, go give it to him. He goes, whoa, really? So he comes to me and he said, God says, turn or die. Now, it hit me hard. I mean, that hit me to the, to the marrow. I knew that there was a God. He was close by, and he knew my name. Because Buzz wasn't kidding, and I had known him a long time. I knew he wasn't kidding, but the Holy Spirit hit me, and I knew the Holy Spirit wasn't kidding either. I said, okay, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? And I went to the place that he told me to go to, and he saved me. He changed me. That was a power and an energy outside of me that changed me. And I mean in an instant. Now, I'm still being saved. But in that instant, he took a lot of stuff off of me that had kept me. Now, whether he was going to kill me, I don't know. Or whether I was going to run into something that I would cause my own death, I don't know. But he warned me. And he said, turn or die. When I turned, which I did... Um, he began to show me what what his love was, that power, that energy that holds the universe together. Remember when I told you that? When you were laying on the ground, you were a young man and you were hollow and empty? And I told you that? He brought it back to my memory. We talk about love all the time. There are 665 verses in the NIV Bible that mention the word love. And I think the most of it has to be in Psalms where it talks about Unfailing love, enduring love, forever love, covenant love, love that protects, nurtures, builds, heals, expanding in all directions at all times. Later, I went to the Space Museum in Huntsville, Alabama, and I saw a wonderful movie. You ever go there? You need to go to IMAX, and these scientists talk about the universe is expanding in all directions at all times. So when I was lying on that speck of dirt looking out, the universe is expanding in all directions at all times. God said, let there be light. That word is resounding still to this moment out into the universe. The scientists said it all used to be in this really compact little ball of dirt about the size of a softball and exploded, you know the Big Bang Theory, exploded and it's still going out in all directions. Somehow the Holy Spirit showed me the intensity of whatever they were talking about and how God said, let there be light. Boom. And it's all going in all directions at all times. But here's the key. It's all the same mass. We are part of every molecule that's out there. Every part of the molecules are part of us. God is all in all. You can't be separate from God. You're part of God. You can't hide from Him. He's... It's like your hand. I mean, it's like your, your, your breath. We're part of him. He's part of us. But he gives us this free choice. We got twisted along the way. We forgot what love was. And we made up our own rules. And we got into darkness. And then he came and he gave us a chance to turn. And that is love.
We use the word a lot in everyday speech. In fact, in this church, when we say goodbye to each other on the phone or in the car, we say, love you, man, love you, to the point where I have to stop doing it out in the world. You know? I have to stop in the business world from doing that. I, and I've come close to the people I really like. I'm a love you, man. But I don't do it because they wouldn't know how to handle it. But we do. We greet each other with love. We greet each other with a hug, a holy kiss. We love each other. If you look up and down this street, and the street that we were on, this street has churches too, just like the street we were on was full of churches. What makes this little gathering different from any of those? A lot of those, there's probably a lot, like you could actually preach the word in a fishing shirt here and sandals. But, you know, we're comfortable here. We're not really into our appearance. We are more into the truth of this word and the truth of our lives. But on that street that we were on, there were a lot of the normal brick and mortar places. And they like ritual. They like dress. They like being a part of something. They like a name, a title. You know, it makes them feel comfortable. They don't get a lot of meat. They don't get a lot of word. They get, in my opinion, not much life. But they like being part of something. If you look in 2 Timothy 3, you don't have to look there right now. But 2 Timothy 3 actually gives me a job description. I'm an elder. And it gives me a job description. And people like job descriptions. They want a title. Deacon. Well, we're all deacons. Deacon means servant. We're all servants. But this is really kind of strange. It's the only, it's the only one I see that's so detailed, the elder. It, when, when that title was given to me, bestowed upon me by our pastors, Matt and Eric, it was an incredible, humbling honor. Because it says here, right here, this keeps you in line. This lets you know that somebody's watching you. There's an expectation for you, and you need to live up to this. But you can't do it on your own. You have to have love. We have very strange ideas about love. We attach all kinds of emotions to love. The word love means so many things to so many people, it's gotten so weirded out that it could mean anything to anybody. But in God's word, in God's context, it's a very special, direct meaning. God has his own idea of love. Let me give you a quote. You know, when, like I said, when I started looking around, I started seeing love everywhere and hearing about love everywhere and reading about it. The ladies are in a Bible study at Angie's house, and it's by a lady named Misty Edwards. So Darnell brought this to me. He said, look what we're doing. And she didn't really know. I, I don't, when I know I'm going to deliver a word, I don't talk about it much. I start going into me and God conversations. And Darnell brought me this, and I'm reading it, and it just jumped off the page. This is a quote. How God, that all-consuming living flame of love, shows His unrelenting desire for His people. In our culture today, we often define love as a passive toleration or a momentary bliss. Occasionally, we define love as blind devotion. But to peer into the mystery of God's love, we must define love on His terms not our own. How God defines love is how He defines Himself. That's pretty cool. So how does God define Himself? And if you look in His Word, um, I'm just going to run through here, I'll tell you, I know you guys are like Jaguars ready to hit fifth gear and turn to every verse. 
But let me just, I'm going to run through some stuff, and then we will, we'll go to some verses. The first Bible quote in the Bible about love is Abraham. This is uh, kind of interesting. Abraham replied, I said to myself, this is, there is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God had made me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love for me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. Well, that's not starting out real good. First mention of love in the word. Abraham telling his wife to say, that's his brother. I'm thinking, gosh, should I put that in my message? Should I include that? That's, I don't know. That's one of those crazy things. But then you go to the last mention of love in the Bible. Revelations 12, 11. This is Jesus talking. They overcame him, the devil, the evil one, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Now, look at the contrast. Because when Abraham spoke that, he was still Abram. And then he became Abraham. He changed. God said, I'm going to give you a new name because you have a new heart, a new meaning is going to come into your life. And at the end we see that those who make this walk do so by not despising death as so much as to shrink from it. Or despising themselves as to shrink from death and spare their lives. Because what's a life if you don't have love? What Eric and Matt, Mike, Cody, and Judah are doing right now is they're going to show their love to people who have never been shown the love that we know. We're so rich in it. We're bathed in it. We can say, love you, brother. What do they say? What do those snake people say to each other? Can my snakes in eat your snake? No love there. It's all battle. It's all ritual. It's all warfare. It's all darkness. It's all voodoo. If you ever been in Louisiana, you know what voodoo is. It's not good. It's nasty. Those people live in it. Now, would you please turn with me to John 1, 1, yes. 1 through 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Everyone knows what John 3.16 says, where Jesus says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Truth and love walk hand in hand. If love is present, truth will abide. Now, Jesus said, I have to get this right, I always get it backwards. John and I were talking about this yesterday. My way is easy. My burden is light. 
my way is easy, my burden is light. I'm first hearing that, being born again, I'm going, they killed him, you know? He never got any rest, he never got any sleep, they chased him from town to town, and then they killed him. They were always arguing with him. Very few people seem to respect him. Now I've learned a lot more, I think a lot more people did respect him, but at the time I'm thinking, how could that be easy in life? Well, I'm in for a hard time. Boy, Jesus was one tough guy. I'm going to have to really get tough here to make it. That wasn't it at all. The reason Jesus could say that was because Jesus loved God enough to take a bodily form, to be born as a human being. And the mission that Jesus was given is you go and live among them so that you can understand them, so that they can see you and touch you and hear you. And you can tell them about me, and whoever accepts that, I will bring with you to me. And Jesus said, yes, sir, Father, I love you. I'll go do that. Because it says in John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Jesus was there when we were formed, when we were made. He watched. He had a part in it. He said, God, I love those little beings so much. Those poor, mortal little beings. They're so fragile. You breathe on them, they die. But I love them. I love what you made here. I'd like to do that. Somehow there was this conversation. I don't know theologically how it works. But somehow a decision was made and Jesus was sent to... He parachuted into the most barbarically, um, to me, prehistoric kind of time. I mean... I mean, running water was a big deal. Only only emperors and pharaohs and stuff had hot baths and stuff. I mean, you know, piping. The Romans had some water pipes going. They were a big deal. Concrete was invented so they could build a Colosseum so they could torture people. I mean, um, I mean, this is a very primitive time. And Jesus comes into the most primitive time you can imagine and lives there, does his ministry, and dies there. How? Why did you do that, Lord? Why? And so, as I would look at this, I was talking to Matthew one day. There are no photographs of Jesus. There are no images you can worship. We don't know what he looked like. It said he wasn't real handsome, and he was a man of sorrows and pain. So he probably had a pained look on his face. He looked like he had a little road miles, probably, because he walked everywhere he went for 33 years. In the hot sun and the rain, Lived on a lived laid down his pack by a fire and slept on a rock for a pillow. I mean, this guy traveled walking in sandals in the dirt. But you can you cannot you cannot look to any image of him, any movie, any video. There's no recording of his voice. You have to trust. And in my Jewish Bible, trust and faith are the same word. You have to have faith. Trust. You have to trust what he said. But how can you trust it? You can read it, but I guarantee you, I promise you, until the Holy Spirit of God changed me, this was like a coded book. I couldn't understand it. But as soon as the Holy Spirit came upon me, the words jumped off the page. When the disciples were following Jesus around, they were saying, call down fire on them, Lord. They didn't do what you said. They were like us before the Holy Spirit. When the day of Pentecost came and they received the Holy Spirit, they were different people. They weren't running around bumping into each other and pulling swords out and stuff. They were laying hands on people, healing people. What happened to them? It was love. They walked with love. 
They talked with love. They saw him. They ate with him. They spoke to him. Yet they didn't quite understand it yet because they didn't have the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus said, this is another mystery. I have to go away that the Comforter can come. It's important that I go do this because I, he can't be here if I'm here. So I'm going to go sit at the right hand of the Father and I'm going to send you love. And when those people went into that upper room, it said there were flames of fire on their head. And they fell out and they walked outside the door. There was so much love radiating from them that 3,000 people got saved just looking at them and talking to them. And that love spread to wherever it hit you and brought you here today and changed you wherever the Holy Spirit found you, wherever Jesus found you and changed you. That love that radiated out of that room at the day of Pentecost hit you and changed you and changed me. That's what changed me. That love changed me to where I could understand that love. So what makes us different? From now we're on another street with more churches and mostly, I think, African churches, Nigerians, and, and different people, different kinds of worship, different ways. We were in here putting up cabinets yesterday. We heard drum beats outside, out back, you know? That's their way to worship. It's different from us. What makes us different? I'd like to think that it's the love that changed us. It's the love that has made us say, hey, love you, man. It's the love that says, hey, I haven't seen Nolan. How's he doing? I haven't seen Cody. Where is he? I heard, I heard somebody was sick. How are they doing? Let me go help. Let me help them move. Let me help them paint. Let me help them do this or that. I heard they're sick. Let me go mow their grass. If I can do it in secret without them knowing, all the better. I love them. I miss them. I'd like to think that without titles, without ritual, without fancy clothing, that what makes us different is our love for each other. And I'll tell you why that's important. There are a lot of prophecies going around now about a great shaking that's coming. And when I heard these two years ago, our brother Abel had run into somebody who was, was going around and had, had a word about this. And I went online, I read it. Abel showed me where to get it. It's a paper, it's pretty long. It's very detailed about what God showed him is coming. That was two years ago. Everything seemed relatively stable compared to now, two years ago. Man, do you see what's going on out here? I'll tell you what, if you put your faith in money, your faith's gonna be tested. If you put your faith in, in gold, which they're selling on TV by the minute now, gold, gold, need to buy some gold, you're gonna be disappointed. If you are, if you're, there is a certain religion that every, you have, if you're the head of the household, everybody in the household has to have a year's supply of food. You have to save up enough wheat and, and oil and something for a year per person in case the hard times come, which they expect. And if you put your faith in that, somebody will come to your house and steal all that. Because yeah, they'll know you've got it. If you're fat and they're not, something's up, we're going to your house. I mean, think about it. There's no way to hide from this. There is a shaking coming. It's going to shake our foundation of our government. It's going to shake the foundation of our religious institutions. And it's going to shake these churches. It's going to shake all of these churches, this church included. And when that happens, when the shaking's finished, what will be left is God. Because it's prophesied in this word about shaking that people will flock to somewhere where something's happening. 
people are being healed. It'll be a book of Acts thing going on with people meeting in big pastures, anywhere open space, under trees, shopping malls, wherever, parking lots, stadiums. They'll fill it up. And the brick and mortar people are going to get upset because, wait, wait, we got this program for you. We've just built a swimming pool. We've got a gymnasium. Hold up. And they're going to be in trouble. What's going to happen to them? That's not God working. That's man working. So they're going to have to deal with that. Where they had their ritual, where they had their uniforms, where they had their titles, it's not going to stand anymore. The only thing that's going to stand is God's love. Now to the extent that we can grow in that love, we can share that love, we can live in that love, we will be a beacon, a lighthouse for those who show up. If we don't have it going on, they're going to read us immediately and go looking for it. They're going to be hungry, starving. Survival instinct's going to kick in. They're going to want to know God. After 9-11, there were a lot of people that went to church. A couple months later, not so many people in church, back down to the normal numbers. I watched it happen. We all watched it happen. I was so sad when it didn't stick. But apparently, whereas God told me, if you don't turn, you're going to die, and I listened, uh, maybe that message isn't getting through to a lot of people. Maybe they have to have a famine. Maybe they have to have disease. Maybe they have to have war. Maybe they have to have riots break out or something. Then they want to know, what does this mean? How does this all work? Please help me. If we are living in that love at that time, we will be able to serve. We are servants. We're nothing special except that we turned and that we're living in a time and a place in love where we can say, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. When you two were out for a while, I missed you so much. I really, I love you, man. I mean, you've become part of somebody's life. Your children are part of my life. I lost my son when he was 19. I see your children. It just breaks me up. They're so beautiful. They're so alive. They're so full of love. They've got to stay that way. They've got to stay protected. They've got to stay feeling love. They love each other. They run all around and they love to get in here and they're at home and they go play. They love each other. They hug each other. They wave to each other. The babies wave to each other. There's my friends. You know, they love each other. That is love. That means you're feeding them the right food. Love. They're getting it. They're they're acting it out. They see it at home. God's idea of love is pretty intense. It's not halfway. It's not fake. Anybody uh, have Mandy's thing on Facebook? You see her posting about her gift she gave to her husband? Yeah, you gotta, you gotta go read that. But anyway, hello Mandy if you listen watching. Love you. Good job. Because uh, I was reading this in uh, Song of Solomon and it reminded me of Mandy's post. Uh, if you would, please turn with me to Song of Solomon uh, 8, verse 8. I mean, uh, chapter 8. God's not halfway. God's jealous of you. God wants you to have the best. Here in this place, we have a pastor who takes you very seriously, takes me very seriously. He's constantly, we have two pastors, we have constantly people in positions that God has placed them in 
denying their own lives, their own families, their own time, their own sleep, their own food, their own vehicles, their own retirement, their own whatever, to come and pick the burrs out of my fleece and to anoint my wounds with oil and wine. Wine to heal the wounds so the flies don't come and land on there and get me infected. And then oil, anointing me with oil of life and word and truth to keep me going. They're constantly picking burrs out of my fleece, anointing me with wine and oil and putting me back out on the road, constantly that arm around my shoulder. That's serious. That's a life commitment. That's your life. You're giving your life. Verse 6 and 7. This is what God says. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. And many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot wash it away. When that takes hold of you, when that love takes hold of you, you don't want anything else. Nothing else tastes good. Nothing else feels good. You don't want to do anything else. Being around our pastors is contagious. I don't want to do the stuff I used to want to do. I don't I don't want to go and and uh, buy a boat or do all these things that I wanted to do for me I want to I want to serve there's such life in giving there's such life in serving and there's such life in, in being in God's will and God wants us to serve him and each other turn with me to John 15 please Verse 12 through 17. My command is this. This is Jesus speaking. Uh, if you ever want to know what to do, Jesus is the perfect example. That what would Jesus do? Got to be pretty trite. If you ever want guidance, you know, what should I think? What should I do? Jesus is the example. And I want to say this again. This is a very subtle thing to me. This word is it's really kind of tricky how this is laid out. If this was us, we'd have a big billboard out with big neon lights shining. Read this, look at this, buy this. This word is subtle. This word just says it quietly, easily, simply, and it is powerful. Sowing and reaping. I keep going back to this. There is no limit on it. There's no date stamp on it. There's no limited quantity. There's no start stop. It is forever. It's as big as the universe, expanding all directions at one time. Love big. Big love. You know, little Brooke, little girl that died of cancer or leukemia. Uh, you would ask her uh, things, but when you, you talked to her, when you left, she would give you big love, and they start a foundation in her name, big love. Man, that little girl had it figured out. Big love. If you're going to love, love big. Don't do it halfway. Don't love me halfway. If you love me, tell me you love me. Show me you love me. Now, I tell my wife that I love her a lot, as much as I think of it, because she likes me to tell her that. She likes to hear me say, I love you. And for guys, that's kind of hard. We forget. Well, you know I love you. I mean, come on, man. I mean, you know, we ate dinner last night. Come on. We watched TV together. I love you. You know I love you. <laughs> No, they need to hear it. Wives need to hear it. Women need to hear their love. They want to know that they're loved. They want to feel loved. Well, we do too. 
we just act like we don't. We act like we're tough or something. But it just freaks me out when she comes and tells me, I love you. But here's the deal. We can talk it, but it's what you do. And if you ever have the opportunity to show somebody who really needs your love how much you love, and don't stop. Just turn it on and pour it on. Forget everything else. Forget to bathe. Forget to eat. Pour out that love. And watch what happens. It is amazing. It is absolutely astounding what love can do. When we went through our recent health crisis, the Darnell's health crisis, we learned a lot about love. Love forgives. Love forgives. Love is forgiveness. Love gives up the right. Don't fight for the right. That's Brandon's word. Love gives up the right to hold a grudge. But when love gives up that right, something else happens. Healing can come in. We don't have the right to hold grudges. We don't have the right. We have, we have the command to forgive. We have the command to love. Well, have you ever commanded somebody to love you? Love me, Brandon. You will, Neil. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't work out that way. But God commands it. That's his words. I command it. But God shows me love so I can love him back. But my wife shows me love. I can tell her all day long, I love you, but it doesn't work unless I do something. Well, when she was sick, I got to do something. I got to, for the first time in my life, show somebody how much I really love them by putting everything of me aside. Now, I'm not trying to say I'm a great person or something. Please put that aside. I'm trying to make a point. The point is, I was able to love somebody more than me a lot. Because she needed more of me. She had, she, I would have to scratch her face. She couldn't move. I have to blow her nose. I have to give her a sip of water. Do you have no idea how many things you want to do in five minutes that you can't do? You need somebody else to do for you? And she was always saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, don't say I'm sorry, I love you. Darnell knows without a doubt that I love her. You know, you, you always, you never know what's gonna happen until you get in a jam, until you get to a hard spot, and then people show you who they are. My wife knows who I am. My wife now knows my heart. She knew it before, but I got a chance to show her. Praise God, praise you, Lord. Now, after I've kind of exercised, I've learned those martial arts moves, John, I can do some real good stuff. I can do some kicks now. I can knock down doors and love people. I want to do more. I want to do big love. Don't love me halfway. Do this right. Love me with your heart. Show me you love me. Show me you love me. We can love this Word. But if we just go set it up on a table and watch it, like a television, do you think it's going to do anything? No. You have to get up in it and love it. You have to do something. It's a very Jewish thing. We've talked that a lot here. Do it. Do it hard. Do it big. Give it everything you got. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Wow. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Man, you get that? <laughs> you are my friends if you do what I command. Well, God commands me to love, so if I love, I'm his friend. I want to be a friend of God. Okay, how? Sowing and reaping. How big can I love? How big can I show you? I'm going to go do something. I'm going to do, I'm going to do big love, Lord, for me, and I'm going to get bigger at it. You know, I've got these limitations on what I think is love. 
I'm going to get bigger at it, you know. And you're going to catch me if I make a mistake along the way showing big love because I might get out of control. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father I have now made known to you. Jesus told the disciples, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he will make all things known to you. I've told you a lot of stuff. This is paraphrasing. I've given you a lot of stuff over the last three years. Some of it didn't make a lot of sense. You think you got some of it? You're about to get all of it. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he will open up your mind to all the stuff I've told you. Now, didn't that happen? They were running into each other, bumping each other, drawing swords, wanting to stone, kill people. And then suddenly, when their shadow passed somebody, they got healed. So that happened. That was true. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my Father, I have also made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. You didn't choose Jesus. There was a point in time somewhere where he chose you. And you showed up here. Or you showed up, you know, lots of other places. We've all been in lots of other churches. We've been moving around. But we're here today. Because he chose this place for us today. We didn't choose him. He chose us. But when he told me, turn or die, I said, okay. Okay, that sounds like a good deal. I'm thinking living is, is a good deal. Okay, I'll turn. You're close. You're here. And you know my name. You sense somebody that knows, you know my name? Wow, okay. You're not some real far away God on the throne with all these things singing around you all the time. You are right here. And you want me to, okay, I'll turn. Now what? And he's been taking me down that road ever since. But he did the same to you. He brought you here today. He made you a family here today. And he wants you to give fruit that will last. Well, let me tell you something. The only fruit that you have that's worth anything is love. The love that you unconditionally give of your own free will and show the people around you in your workplace, in your life, in your family. Family can be the hardest one sometimes. It's hard. You know, I've got a brother who, not head, you know, I mean, I keep working on him and and he just wants to do it his own way. And I get real frustrated with him. And God said, doesn't that, boy, doesn't that make you mad? Because that's what you were doing. When I found you, trying to do it your own way. How'd that work out? Keep going. Keep trying. And I see little changes. I see him coming around. I know that it's hard. But your fruit that will last is your love. If I die today and you come to my funeral, I want you to remember the times we laughed the times we loved, the happy things that we did, that we shared, because that's all that I have that's worth anything to you. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This, this is my command. Love each other. Here's the key. There's not a big billboard with flashing lights. Love each other, and my Father will do what you ask Him to do. If you do not love each other, he will not do what you ask him to do. If you do not do the things that you do in love, he will not do what you're asking him to do. You're praying in vain. This isn't my command. Love each other. 
How powerful is that love? Please turn with me to Matthew 27. Verse 51 through 53. You there? At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, the tombs broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs, and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When Jesus gave up his breath, when he said, Father, it is done, his love ripped the three-foot veil in the temple apart. That's how powerful his love is. It ripped, it shook the earth. It raised people from the dead who walked around and said, Hello, I was dead, but I just got out of the grave when Jesus died. And God said, Now is the time. No more separation of men and God. Men can now go into the holies of holies. There is no more mediator between you and God. You are now. My love is big enough to make it happen. I just ripped the curtain. Let's do it. But you know what? Who figured that out then? There, They were all like, man, the earthquake ripped the curtain. Kind of like the tsunami ripped the curtain. But we know what ripped that curtain. It was love. God's love. That's that same love. It saved me because I guarantee you, I promise you, I could not save me. God saved me. I couldn't save myself. I, I couldn't have done it. He did something to me. He changed me. He took a lot of stuff off of me or I was going to die. Romans 13, 8-10 Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Against love there is no law. There's all these laws. How many laws are there? Hundreds and hundreds of laws. There is no law against love. I love that. Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. Because I think Paul about sums it up. Yeah. And you're fast. You young ones are fast on that Bible. Yeah. Okay, this is, a, this is a, a verse that we're all very familiar with. We've all heard this a lot of times. But this sums it up. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does, not, it does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. If you do not forgive people, if you keep a record of wrongs, it will kill you. It will cause disease in your body and you will die. If you want healing and you want freedom, forgive. Love everybody you come in contact with. God did. It, it worked out really good for me when I realized I was very judgmental. 
at work, it's funny how the psychology of your personality leads you to where you end up working. I'm an auditor, I'm an inspector, I'm a master root cause investigator. I want to know why. I've always wanted to know why. And so because of that, I start picking things apart. I just pick, 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 pick it, pick it apart. And I find all the problems. Well, that's good in my job because I come in after the fact, something exploded, something sank, something did something weird. And I come in after the fact and I put all the pieces together and God has given me this ability to, to, to see the trail, to figure it out. He made me that way. I don't, I don't know, I don't take credit for it because when I walk in the room, I'm, my heart's thumping. I'm like, oh God, I'll never figure this one out. And I'm supposed to lead, you know? And I'm like, oh man, my, my mind's racing. And then suddenly he just clears up my thought and he shows me, there it is, there's the trail. And I start to follow it and there it all is. But with that personality, I pick people apart, or used to. I would find all their flaws. I would find everything wrong with them. Because you know what? I'm very flawed. And I know all my flaws. I'm very hard on me. I, the hardest person to love for me is me. You been there? I mean, that's hard. Because I know all my flaws. I know all my problems. I'm the hardest one to love. But if I don't love me, I'm going to kill me. So I'm not going to do that because God commanded me to forgive myself. So I'm going to forgive myself. And I'm going to forgive other people. Because one day he showed me, Stephen, quit. Stop that. Really. I commanded you to love them, not to judge them. That's my job. You're not a judge. I am. Love it. Love them. Everyone I put in front of you, your job is to love them. Do your job. Really. About like that. And it was so much easier for me after that. I don't have to judge anymore. I'm not the judge. I don't have to judge anybody. I just need to love them. They need to know I love them. you got to know I love you or I'm not doing my job right. Keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Truth and love walk hand in hand. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. you got to be something powerful to do all that. Love never fails. It doesn't. It does not fail. We may fail to love, but love never fails. We may fail to do it, love doesn't fail. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish things behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. When I first met my wife, I had been through a very, very hard time, very tough time. And the way I viewed myself was, this is a mental image I had of me. I've got my, I'm clad in my armor, a lot of it's missing, got big chunks missing out of it. There's chunks missing out of my shield, the tip's broken off my sword. I'm totally soaked in sweat, I'm cut and bleeding. I've, I've got nothing left. If there's one more attack, I'm going down. I have fought with everything I have to fight. I have nothing left, and I'm down on one knee with that broken sword and that shield, and I'm sitting there, and I'm just trying to get the strength to get up. That's all, I just, I got nothing left. You know what God showed her? showed her a little boy in shorts and t-shirt, tennis shoes, cowering in a corner with his hands up saying, don't hit me anymore. 
See the difference? It broke her heart. She saw a guy with a lot of problems. But then God showed her who I really was. See the difference in the way I saw me? Warrior down with chunks out of his sword. Or she saw a little boy. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Got to be careful about what we think we know about ourselves. We might not be right. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Today as we go forward from this place, I want to encourage you that you only have so many breaths in this life and that those breaths were designed to love God's creation and everything He placed in it. That love is the glue that holds the universe together. And His love is so powerful, it can it's a double-edged sword. One of the things we had to learn in Darnell's illness was to watch what we say. Our, our tongues have the power of life and death. The more we have loved and put away the, the criticisms and the hurts and the unforgivenesses and all this stuff, and this takes some time. You gotta sit and talk about it, you gotta get it out there, you gotta look at it, and you gotta throw it away. You have to admit it and let it go. My way is easy, my burden is light. I'm starting to get it. I'm starting to get it, because you're not holding all those bad thoughts. You're not trying to go places your body and your mind shouldn't go. You spent your whole time loving everything you saw and speaking the truth into everything the whole time you were here. My way is easy. My burden is light. I'm starting to get it. I encourage you today, when you leave this place, love everything and everybody you meet as you go forward into your workplace and your private lives. Let your home be a place of love, a dwelling where God lives. Let your life be a light of love. And if you do these things, you will reap the reward, which is more love from God, which will take you higher and higher and higher in His economy until your body may be hurting and your bank may be broke and your house may be falling apart, but your heart will be so full that when the famine comes, when the shaking comes, when the hard time comes, you won't be sad you'll be happy that more people get to come to this light, this love, and you'll be prepared because you've been storing up love in your storehouse, your heart. Your way is easy. Your burden is light. This is not hard. We can do this. But not carrying all this other stuff with us won't work. Love is all I need. Love is all I want. Love is all I have. And I love you all. Please stand together and let's pray. Father God, we've come together and we pray first and foremost for our mission team who are now in this foreign place. Lord, you anointed them, you prepared them, and you sent them out in love, and they will reap a huge harvest. Father, we're so excited about it because just like we met Raja, who came all the way here, we will meet more of these people and we will go there and meet them. Father, let your word go out before Eric, Matthew, Cody, Judah, Mike, let it wrap around them and protect them. And Father, let it shine out of them into these people that need light so badly. 
Father, I pray your love upon this congregation, upon this church, and upon this place. Father, I pray today that as these people go forward, your love will fill their lives and their hearts forever. I love them, Father, as you love me with all my heart. In Jesus' name, we love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Go love.